today on CityCast Pittsburgh. Only medical marijuana is legal in Pennsylvania, and you've got to have an approved reason to have it, such as treating opioid abuse disorder. But reporter Ed Mahone of Spotlight PA has discovered it's not that simple. Researchers don't recommend cannabis as a primary treatment for opioid abuse, and questionable claims by cannabis companies could be putting lives in danger. Ed's with lead producer Matt Stroud. It's Monday, March 28th. I'm Megan Harris, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Ed, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. You spent quite a bit of time looking into medical claims made by cannabis dispensaries, cannabis certification companies, and physicians who can certify cannabis use. What did you find when you looked at those claims? Some cannabis companies are using incomplete or misleading claims to promote marijuana as a treatment for opioid addiction, and multiple experts told us that potentially puts lives at greater risk. Was it across the board that these companies were doing it, or was it specific companies who were making these claims? So we looked at, uh, at over 60 companies, and it, it was uh, there was a variety of approaches. I mean, some companies said very little to nothing about opioid addiction. And, and that's really where we focused on is, is opioid addiction. They would cherry pick and misrepresent parts of studies. They would make broad claims without citing any specific research. And they would provide incomplete information about what it takes to qualify for the state's medical marijuana program. There were seven websites that cited a specific study in a misleading way, seven websites that promoted the benefits of the cannabis compound CBD in a way that experts told us went beyond what existing research supports. And then there were about a dozen websites that just included incorrect or incomplete information about what it takes to qualify for the state's medical marijuana program. So talk to me a little bit about the companies that we're, we're talking about here, the, the seven websites that you kind of honed in on that were making these false claims. There were two companies that uh, experts raised the most concern about the statements they were making. Both of them are certification companies. They help connect patients to physicians to become certified for the state's medical marijuana program. And that certification allows patients to then buy marijuana at dispensaries. And those companies were Relief Specialist and Compassionate Certification Centers. And both of them used identical language to claim research suggests medical marijuana can be a viable substitute for buprenorphine, one of three drugs approved by the federal government to treat opioid use disorder. And that's the claim that the experts raised the most concerned about. Help me understand where those companies fall into this process. Sure. So the way the system works in Pennsylvania is that you be, you register with the state, and then once you register with the state, then you go out uh, and find a physician who will certify that you meet one of 23 specific qualifying conditions in Pennsylvania. So once you go to a visit, you find a physician, they d- determine that you meet this criteria, they certify you, you get certified, and then and only then are you allowed to go to a dispensary and buy medical marijuana. So where do companies like Relief come into the process? So you're finding the doctor, and then what? They have their websites, and they promise to connect you with the actual physician. So in some places, they could contract with physicians who they connect you with. In other setups, they could be directly employing the doctor. Um, It's not always clear from the website what the actual situation is, but they are the ones who 
you know, a business can't certify you, but for all intents and purposes, this business is, our business is helping you get certified with these doctors. Okay. So the state says that opioid abuse disorder is something that's qualified, the, uh, something that can allow you to get um, your medical marijuana card if you're, if you qualify for it, right? Um, is marijuana a way to treat opioid addiction? So yeah, so when the state, they did this in 2018, they became one of the, the first or the first to specifically add it as its own standalone condition. Mm-hmm. And when they did that, the Medical Marijuana Advisory Board, they recommended it. Um, they didn't cite any specific research to support that move. Um, and the health secretary at the time, Rachel Levine, she didn't cite any specific research to support that as well. There is not research to support the idea that opi- that medical marijuana is an effective treatment for opioid use disorder. And what the you know, multiple experts have told us is that the risk and downside is potentially very high because if you're using medical marijuana to treat opioid use disorder and it doesn't work, you could relapse on opioids, overdose, and die. And that's a risk that doesn't exist for many of the other qualifying conditions. Is this a problem with the state and the way that the laws are written? Or is it a problem with the companies just trying to take advantage of the fact that the state makes this an option? And so they're going to say that it is. Yeah, I mean, so that's a good question. So, I mean, the experts we talked to, you know, a lot of them said it's a problem with the state's decision to do this and also with the companies themselves. And so, you know, two parts to that. I mean, one is, you know, uh, Chelsea Chauver, she's an expert uh, in California. She's analyzed cannabis dispensary claims. And, you know, she told me she was worried this would happen when the state went down this path and this is exactly what's happening so if you go back to what the state how they framed it in 2018 rachel levine health secretary at the time said it's important to note that medical marijuana is not a substitute for proven treatments for opioid use disorder and you know she put specific conditions on when it could be used as a qualifying condition and that was if other treatments failed or um were ineffective or as a uh, supplement, essentially, I like in addition to a primary treatment. Two of the companies, they used identical language to say, research suggests that medical marijuana can be a viable substitute for opioids, such as buprenorphine and other prescription drugs. And both of those statements are, are in part sections of the website focused on opioid addiction. Um, neither website included a link to that research. When we reached out to them, they provided uh, separate studies um, but ne- none of the studies, you know, backed up what they were claiming. And we talked to some authors of the studies. Uh, one of them described the statements as totally, mi- uh, let me get this right, blatantly incorrect and beyond misleading. Hmm. Another said um, that, you know, doing anything for opioid use disorder other than the three federally approved medications is potentially dangerous and that it's not supported by any research. Wow. So they're saying something that is just completely false. Yeah, I mean, that the experts we talked to who were cited by them say this is false information, that's not true, and that the that there's not this research that exists to support this. Is there a way that doctors, too, are being influenced by what these certification companies are putting out into the open? It's tough to say how much. Um, I, mean, I think that part of the concern is how doctors are actually approaching these exams and what they're actually doing when they are treating patients. I'm not sure what, what the answer is to that, like how much these statements are influencing physicians. Um, I think part of the concern is that 
these statements might influence uh, patients in one in, in who they seek out and how they seek them out, but also just in once they have the certification, how they then use that certification. Um, because there is a system where doctors can revoke a patient certification. The department wouldn't say how often that happens. And it's not clear what oversight exists once the patient has a certification. They, they can have it for up to a year. There seems to be a parallel with the way that opioids were pushed by pharmaceutical companies, where the companies are kind of leading the way with how the drugs should be used. And that seems like what you've identified here, right? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a concern. Uh, I think a former a physician and former member of the state's medical marijuana advisory board you know, made that comparison directly about opioids and the uncertainty about the potential impact and potential consequences of these actions. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to say that, you know, the experts we spoke to and sort of the, the main focus was not on medical marijuana is bad or that medical marijuana itself is, is harmful. It's that medical marijuana specifically to treat opioid use disorder is not backed up by research. And so I think you know, one expert I spoke to said if cranberry juice makers were out there promoting this for opioid use disorder, she would have a problem with that. Not because she has a problem with cranberry juice, but because it doesn't work. I'm curious, how did you start looking at this issue? Like what inspired the reporting? So it goes back, um, I think, you know, over about a year ago, we published, um, you know, big investigation into problems at addiction treatment facilities in Pennsylvania um, and weaknesses with the state's Department of Drug and Alcohol programs in providing effective oversight of addiction treatment facilities. You know, that led to a tip from a mother whose son who had struggled with an addiction, he ran into complications in accessing addiction treatment funding because of his medical marijuana card. And then, you know, I mean, tragically, he was denied addiction treatment funding assistance in September of 2020 because of his medical marijuana card. He died from a, an opioid overdose a few weeks later. So we did a story in June of last year looking at that whole situation and what the, where the problems were in that situation, what the confusion was, you know, that led us into into the idea of like, just wh why was opioid use disorder approved as a qualifying condition to begin with? Because that was sort of part of the whole conflict to begin with over the confusion of these of these rules. We found a study looking at that issue and how it was more prevalent for misleading medical claims about opioid use disorder in states like Pennsylvania, where it was a qualifying condition. And then, so then we did, we decided to do our own analysis after that. So it's really been a, you know, a series of, of just one story leading to the next and sort of diving deeper into this issue. There's been some discussion in the state legislature recently about the possibility of making marijuana legal for recreational use. If they did that, would that just wipe away this problem? The, whether it would wipe it away entirely or not, I, is, I don't know if entirely, but I think it would, according to, you know, the experts we talked to, that it's certainly, you know, one path and one possibility because, you know, the, the situation right now is you need a medical marijuana certification to access marijuana legally in Pennsylvania. The argument is that everybody has to go through the system, but the system is underregulated and it's ripe for abuse and it's like, and it's ripe for like misleading claims. And so if you were to, to, regu to regulate it and have it legalized across the board, you wouldn't have that, that same misleading tactics or misleading approach. Have you heard any serious discussions about, you know, making marijuana 
legal for recreational use in Pennsylvania? What, what kind of pushback are you hearing? So, I mean, it's notable there's been some Republicans coming out to, to support legalized recreational marijuana. I don't want to try to make predictions, but I mean, it's still there's strong resistance from leadership to that happening. So it would be surprising if that were to happen. But I mean, it's, it's you know, stuff takes time and there there is real progress happening towards it. But whether that's going to actually happen is, is unclear. We'll have to wait and see. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Some more news before you go. Redistricting isn't over yet. It's just a little more local right now. Pittsburgh City Council's nine districts are being redrawn. This always happens after a census, and this year they're working on preserving our two majority black districts. That's six and nine, especially since the city's black population has shrunk. Officials have until August to get it final final, but if you're interested in participating, there's a bunch of public meetings coming in April. Or you can submit your comments online. The Urban Redevelopment Authority is losing a major player. Diamante Walker joined the URA in 2017 and served as deputy executive director through the whole pandemic and before. It's not clear exactly where she's headed, but it's local and she's going to be in charge. WESA has a gorgeous little send-off we'll link to here in the show notes and in the newsletter. And the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra is fundraising for Ukraine. It's a free concert of peace at Heinz Hall on April 2nd, all in partnership with United Way and the Pittsburgh Foundation. Proceeds from the concert will support the basic needs of displaced Ukrainian refugees. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, because that's still how the podcast gods determine viability around here. And please subscribe to our morning newsletter. It'll always help you plan your week. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you soon. This is weirdly like conjuring a Patronus. You have to think happy thoughts. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.